Carter Report presents worship from the Community Adventist Fellowship in Glendale, California. A special welcome to all of our viewers in North America and our new friends and churches in Russia. Today you'll enjoy uplifting music and the preaching of the everlasting gospel by pastor, teacher, and evangelist John Carter. Please get your Bible and study the Word of God with us today. Thank you for joining us for Worship and Praise.
Bien. That blessed me. Did it bless you? One day we're going to live in the light of the risen Lamb. Almost makes you feel, David, like shouting glory, doesn't it? Have you got a glory in there today, David? Good, that's a good one. Uh, you're an elder now, so you've got to shout the glories. Now today we're going to continue our series on crisis, the book of Revelation. And we're going to continue, of course, with Revelation chapter 13. Last week we dealt with Revelation chapter 12. I want to give a strong, sincere welcome to the people who are viewing our telecast, particularly our friends on 3ABN. And if you'd like to get the series in Revelation, please write us. Uh, Post Office Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Let me tell it to you again. Post Office Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358 or else you can call us on 818-546-8444 and get this entire series on the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is a book on crisis. And Revelation 13 is where the crisis becomes the most intense because Revelation 13 is a chapter on the Antichrist and it is the purpose of our Bible study today to talk about the identification marks of the great Antichrist. This great presentation on the Antichrist has changed the course of history. It has changed the events of history. It has changed the course of nations. And this meeting today is going to change your life too. Please notice Revelation chapter 13 and verse 1 in the Word. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns on his heads ten crowns, on his heads a blasphemous name. This is the great antichrist of Bible prophecy. There are a number of chapters in the Bible that talk about the antichrist. Daniel 7, we're going to talk from Daniel 7 also today. Daniel 7, Daniel 8, uh, Daniel 9, Daniel 11, uh, 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2, Matthew 24 also refers to the Antichrist, but this chapter is a very powerful presentation on the Antichrist who changes the law of God and who deceives the whole wide world. Revelation 13 is pertinent for our study. Revelation chapter 13 is very important because it concerns the last great crisis in the history of the world. Let me say it again. Revelation chapter 13 describes the crisis at the very end of the world. And if we are living in the last days, then certainly we need to understand the final great crisis. Now, people ask the question, why should a person study and read this book of Revelation? And why should a person study the great prophecy about the Antichrist? I would like you to take your Bible now and come over to Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14 and 15. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14 and 15. I want you to notice here the words of Jesus given in the context of the final proclamation of the everlasting gospel. Matthew 24 and verse 14 and 15. Jesus says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world 
as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. That in itself, my friend, is a glorious verse. Because it tells us that whatever happens in the world, the gospel is going to be preached and nothing can stop it. No man can stop the preaching of the gospel. He may try to slow it down, but even his actions to stop the preaching of the gospel will give the preaching of the gospel a greater impetus. And Jesus said the gospel is going to be preached in all the world, and then the end is going to come. And what has happened in Russia in the last few years is a tremendous encouragement to us because all the forces of darkness cannot stop the preaching of the gospel. So Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. And this expression, the abomination of desolation, is an expression that refers to the Antichrist. This expression has at least uh, two applications. It refers to the hordes of the pagan Romans that came against the city of Jerusalem in 66 to 70 AD. And Jesus said to his disciples, when you see the, the hordes of the Romans standing in the, in the holy place around Jerusalem, then read and understand. And then Jesus said, read also the book of Daniel. But the prophecy of Matthew 24 verse 14 and 15 was not completely uh, fulfilled in the days of pagan Rome or old Jerusalem. This prophecy is consummated in the last days. And the Bible says that the Antichrist is going to come not against just uh, literal Jerusalem, no, no, no. It is going to come against the church of the living God. And the Bible tells us in Revelation 13 that the last great crisis in the history of the world is at hand. I believe, my beloved brothers and sisters, I believe with, in, in, with all my soul that we are living in the last days. I believe that the signs of the times are shouting every time you turn on television. One of the greatest signs that I can think of today is the moral depravity that is overtaking this great nation raised up as a nation under God. The obsession of the people with crime and the making of heroes of criminals. And you know it is true. It is a sign of moral depravity and a fall from spiritual heights. These things that we see on television happening today should tell us that Jesus is going to come back in judgment. And the Bible tells us that the last great crisis in the history of the world is fast coming on us. Therefore, if Revelation 13 talks about the last great crisis and the work of the Antichrist, every Christian ought to be intelligently aware of these things. Now let me say this to you before we go any further today. We are going to discover that the Antichrist is a great religious system. But let me tell you this, and let us make it very, very plain, the vast majority of the people of God are not in our church. Now that may come as a shock to some of you, because you may think we are the chosen remnant. But God has got his people in every church. I want you to know this. I personally believe that the greatest number of God's people are found in the great Roman Catholic Church. Because it is the biggest church. It is a church of a billion members, and that church has produced some of the greatest saints in the history of the world. 
like Mother Teresa. I don't think we've ever produced a Mother Teresa, a selfless little Roman Catholic nun who has poured out her soul and her body on the streets of Calcutta and other filthy cities. She has worked for people that we would not want to be seen with. And she, she cuddles and she caresses the lepers as they die. You know why? Because she is a Christ-like person. She understands the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, let, us, let every person here today understand that while we are talking about a great deceptive religious organization, we are not talking about the people who make up that organization. Is that understood? Because the vast majority of God's people are out there in those churches. Let us understand that. But the Bible tells us that the Antichrist is a great counterfeit church. I'm going to give you today, by the grace of God, 14 identification marks. Now every good preacher should be able to do it at least in three, because three is an easy number. But the problem is there are more than three. And so yesterday I thought I'd try to make it in ten, but you can't because there are at least 14. And so today I'm going to give you 14 great identifying signs that unmask the Antichrist. And here is number one. The Antichrist is in the church. Come over here to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and let me prove it to you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And everybody please turn to the passages and if you're new here in this church then please get a Bible because we do not build our faith in this church upon what the church says. We build it upon what the Bible says. We are Bible-believing Christians. And that is why we bring our Bibles to church and that is why we read the Bible because it is the Word of God. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 3 and 4. I want to give a very special welcome to my friend Bob Ludwig, who is such a blessing to us. Good to see you, Bob. Blessings on you. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3 and 4. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come. That's the day of Christ's return. Uh, uh, that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Uh, this is a shock to religious people. The Bible says that the Antichrist is not primarily an atheistic system, though atheism is bad. But atheism and communism, those systems are not the Antichrist of the Bible. The Bible says that the Antichrist is religious and sits in the church. The Antichrist is, listen to it, a counterfeit religious system. It is interesting when you read Revelation 13, as we're going to do today, that the Antichrist rules for 42 months or 1260 days. The Antichrist receives a deadly wound and the Antichrist is resurrected. Of whom does that sound? What does that sound like? 
A person who rules for 1260 days, who does his ministry for 1260 days, gets a deadly wound and is resurrected. And who does signs and wonders. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. The Antichrist is a counterfeit Jesus. We're going to find that the Antichrist has got a counterfeit system of worship. People say, as long as I worship, that's good enough. No, it's good enough for the devil, but it's not good enough for God. The Bible says the Antichrist has a counterfeit worship. He has a counterfeit a day of worship. He has a counterfeit Bible. He has a counterfeit priest. He has counterfeit ministers. The Antichrist sits in the temple of God and the whole world almost is taken captive. Now before you can understand Revelation 13 in its fullness, you need to understand Daniel chapter 7. Because Daniel 7 is the first great chapter in the Bible on the Antichrist. Point number one, the Antichrist is in the church. So don't forget that. He is in the church and he's another Jesus. He's a counterfeit. Come over now to Daniel chapter 7, dear friends and gentle people. Daniel chapter 7. I want you to notice this because this is the first great chapter on the Antichrist and complements Revelation 13. Before you can really understand Revelation 13, you need to understand Daniel chapter 7. We're going to read verses 3 to 8, and we're going to go through it rather fast, because I've got so much to get through. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. As you will remember, a beast in Bible prophecy is a king or a nation. Let me say this to those who are sitting here today who are not turning to the passages. That's okay. You don't need to turn to the passages. The problem is you may not understand the sermon. Therefore, I urge you to turn to the passages because this is the Word of God. This is the authority, not the teaching of the church because the church has made a million mistakes. And if you trust in the church or some religious leader, then you are a prime victim for deception. Therefore, check it out and come to the Bible. So notice please, Daniel chapter 7. And four great beasts, and in Bible prophecy a beast is a kingdom because verse 17 says, Those great beasts which are four are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. And then if you read on, uh, you read verse 4. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. And we know from Jeremiah chapter 15 verse 43 and 44 that the line in Bible prophecy is symbolic of the kingdom of the Babylonians. Does everybody know that? Every person here who knows anything about the Bible will know that in Bible prophecy and in archaeology, the line represents Babylon. Read on, please. Verse 5, suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, which is Medo-Persia. Verse 6, after this I looked and there was another like a leopard, which is Greece. Verse 7, after this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and strong, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Every Bible commentator who knows anything about the Bible will tell you that the fourth beast is the iron monarchy of Rome. And the ten horns on the, on the Roman beast represent the breakup of the Roman Empire into the kingdoms of Europe. Uh, come to, let me see now, verse 23. 
I usually spend several nights in a campaign on this subject, so we're going through it rather quickly. Verse 23 of Daniel 7, Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, that was Rome, which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces, the ten horns, the ten kings, who shall arise from this kingdom. After the Roman Empire came the breakup of the Roman Empire uh, between 300 approximately and 500 AD the Roman Empire was broken up up into the kingdoms and the states of Europe. Uh, the Alamanni became the Germans, the Anglo-Saxons became the English, the Franks became the French and so out of the Roman Empire came the breakup of the Roman Empire into the kingdoms and the states of Europe. Now let me say this to every person here today. Bible prophecy gives to a serious searcher for truth tremendous evidence why he or she can believe in the Bible. Because these prophecies were written hundreds of years before these events took place and they tell us without any question that the Bible is true and that there is a God in heaven. Now we come to the verse in Daniel 7 that describes the nefarious little horn, the Antichrist. Daniel 7 and verse 8. The Bible says, I was considering the horns or the kings of Europe and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, among the kingdoms of Europe, before whom three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots, and there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous things. Now, please listen carefully, because this is as plain as the nose on your face. The Bible tells us that the Antichrist is in the church, an apostate church. He's a counterfeit church and the Bible tells us in Daniel 7 that he arises on the ruins of the Roman Empire and he comes up, the Bible says, among the ten horns. He comes up in Europe. Identification mark number two is that the Antichrist is a European king. Don't look over there in China. Don't look in Latin America, don't look in America for the Antichrist, don't look in the Middle East. The Bible says the Antichrist is a European power. And the Bible tells us, and you just read the text, that as the Antichrist arises in Europe, he overthrows three kingdoms. And we will discover today that when this great apostate church came on the world scene, there were three powers that withstood his rise. And they were the Heruli, the Vandals, and uh, the Ostrogoths. And so the Bible tells us he uproots three kings, and also the Bible says he comes up after the kingdoms of Europe. Now they're the words of the Bible. The Bible says he came up after them. The kingdoms of Europe were established by the year 476 AD and uh, the Bible says that the, the nefarious little horn who changes the law of God and who is the counterfeit Christ comes up after the kingdoms of Europe. He comes as a great power 
after 476. Point number one, he is religious. Number two, he is European. Number three, he comes up after 476. And number four, he uproots three kings, the Heruli, the Vandals, and the Ostrogoths. And number five, he's blasphemous. Uh, notice Daniel 7 and verse 25. Daniel 7 and verse 25, and this gives you point number 5. Verse 24 and 25, the ten horns, the ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, the kingdom of Rome, and another shall arise after them, after 476. He shall be different from the first ones. Why is he different? Because he's in the church. This is a religious king. This is not merely a political king, but he is in the church and shall subdue three kings. He did the Heruli, the Vandals, and the Ostrogoths. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. And Revelation 13, verse 5, come over there, please. Revelation 13, dear people. It actually uses the word blasphemy. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 5. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. He says, we hold upon this earth the place of God Almighty. He says that his power is so great that if you go to him and confess your sins to him, that he will forgive your sins. That is blasphemy because the Bible says, confess your sins to God alone. The Bible says that there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man and that is the man Christ Jesus. And so the Bible says, confess your sins to God. Don't confess your sins to man. If you confessed your sins to me, you would make me into an antichrist. Because Christ alone is worthy to hear our confessions. And he alone has the, has the capacity and the authority to forgive our sins. Point number five, he is a blasphemous king. Point number six, uh, Revelation 13 verse 7. And it was granted to him to make war with the saints. Now who are the saints? A saint is any person who relies upon Jesus for salvation. A saint is a person who trusts in Christ for salvation. A person who has been saved by the blood of Jesus is one of the saints of God. If you are trusting in Jesus today, then you're a saint. One church believes that you've got to die and be dead for a long time and then they'll turn you into a saint. I want to tell you, if you're not a living saint, you can't be a dead saint. And so the Bible says the Antichrist makes war with the saints and overcomes them. He is a, and here is the next point, point number six, he is a persecuting power. He does not understand the truth about religious liberty. I've just come from Russia. I've had a lot to do there with the great state church that has no idea at all about religious liberty. They tried to close us down and run us out of town, but God was stronger. And we continued every night of the week, even though they stood out the front of the building with their banners. Would you believe it? that these people who claim to be Christians join forces with the communists to try to stop the preaching of the word of God. That is the spirit of the Antichrist because the Bible teaches the great doctrine of freedom of religion. It also teaches freedom to preach the word of God. 
Ah, but the state church, my friend, the Antichrist, does not understand the truth about religious liberty. She is that great church, that great apostate church, a persecuting church. Notice Daniel 7.25, point number 7. It tells us the duration of her reign. Daniel 7 and verse 25. I love the holy word of God, don't you? Daniel 7.25, there are some people uncomfortable when you read to them the Bible. It is because they are afraid of truth. Daniel 7.25 says, He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High. And friend, let me tell you this, so every person here, every Protestant here will understand this, the spirit of Antichrist is found in any and every church where an attempt is made to stifle the preaching of the word. Did you hear that? Oh, we don't have a lot of amens in this church because we're talking now to the Protestants and the Baptists and the Adventists and we're saying whenever there is an attempt made to stifle the preaching of the word of God, that is the spirit of the Antichrist and it can be in every church. It can be in your heart. It can be in my heart. Whenever we put ourselves in the place of God and we attack our fellow believers and we try to take over their ministries, that is the spirit of the Antichrist. It's strong, isn't it? Well, say amen to it. Does it, does it make you a little mad with me? Hmm. Somebody said yes. Shall persecute the saints of the Most High, shall intend to change times and laws, then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. Uh, in other parts of the Bible, it says 1260 days. In other parts of the Bible, it says 42 months. Uh, the Bible says that in prophecy, a day symbolizes a year. And the time times half a time represent, according to Scripture, three and a half years, which is equivalent to 1260 days, which is equivalent to 42 months. And in Bible prophecy, the 1260 days represent 1260 years. And so the Bible says that this great church would rule the world and persecute the people of God for 1260 years. And history tells us that that great church became a world power in the year 538 AD and ruled the world for 1260 years, the Dark Ages. And in 1798, General Berthier marched down there and took the leader of that great church captive and brought an end to the 1260 years. This is history and it is the word of God. Point number seven, the Antichrist rules the world for 1260 years. Point number eight, he changes the Sabbath. Now notice Daniel 7 verse 25. Hey, you say, what does this mean? He changes the Sabbath. Well, the Bible tells you. Verse 25, He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. When it says times here, it is referring to the times of God. When it says the law, it is referring to the law of God. The Antichrist makes war against the Christ of God, the Bible of God, the church of God, 
and the times of God and the law of God. And when you read the law of God, there is only one commandment that devotes itself to times, and that is the Holy Sabbath. Now, my beloved friends, this may be new to some of you here. I hope that God will speak to you today and break through the resistance into your mind. The Bible tells me that God Almighty came down in fire and thunder on Mount Sinai and delivered to the people of God the Ten Commandments. This was not the first time the law had been given to the people of God. In the Garden of Eden, before sin raised its ugly head, God gave to our first parents marriage and the Sabbath. The Apostle Paul said, the woman was made for man meaning that marriage was made for the blessing of the human race. And Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, and the Sabbath is the seventh day, commencing sunset Friday, going through to sunset Saturday. That is the Holy Sabbath. There is not one text anywhere in the Bible that tells us that Jesus changed the Sabbath. There is not one text that says that the apostles changed the Sabbath. Not one text in the Bible. Uh, we have offered in our evangelistic campaigns around the world, we have offered sums up to $100,000. We've said to the congregation, show us one text that says that Jesus changed the Sabbath. Show us one text that says that the apostles kept Sunday in honor of the resurrection and we will give you $100,000. Nobody has come for the money. Because there is no text in the Bible. Jesus did not change the Sabbath, but the Antichrist did. The Antichrist did. I'm going to read to you here from Kenan's Catechism. A doctrinal catechism by the Reverend Father Stephen Kenan. And uh, this is a very old book. It's worth its weight in gold. came out... In 1846, it comes out with the blessing of the pontiff himself. And I'm, I'm going to find you a statement here. Here it is. Have you any other way of proving that the church has power to institute festivals and precept? Had she not such power, she could not have done that in which all modern religionists agree with her. She could not have substituted the observance of Sunday, the first day of the week, for the observance of Saturday, the seventh day, a change for which there is no scriptural authority. This great church says, yes, we change the Sabbath. And the Bible tells us that that attack upon the Sabbath was an attack upon the sovereignty of God. I love the Holy Sabbath. Amen. The Holy Sabbath, the Bible says in Ezekiel, is a sign between us and our God. It is a sign. It is a sign that God is the Creator. It is a sign that we belong to Him. It is a sign that we will follow the Bible. It is a sign that we will not follow the policies and the traditions of the church. And the Bible tells us, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Therefore, God calls upon us 
as Christians who have been saved by grace through faith, washed by the blood of Christ to keep the Sabbath. Some people come to me and they say, I don't need that Sabbath because I'm under grace. I want to tell you the Sabbath is full of grace. People who are taught like that don't understand what it's all about because a person who is saved by grace is not saved to break the commandments of God. A person who is saved by grace is saved to keep the commandments of God by the grace of God. You see. And as one man said, I would not work my soul to save for this my Lord has done, but I would work like any slave for the love of God's dear Son. Every person here who professes to be under the blood of Jesus should keep the holy commandments of God. And I want to tell every person here, this is good old Protestant theology. This is good Baptist theology. I can read it to you in the minister's uh, manual for the Baptist church by Dr. Hisco. You know the book. He says, keep the Sabbath. I can read it to you in the Church of England. The Church of England says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. God have mercy upon us and incline our hearts to keep this law. I stand today for historic Protestantism and I stand for the Bible. Mm. So this power, point number eight, changes the Sabbath. Number nine, it gets its power from pagan Rome. Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13, verse 2. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. His mouth like the mouth of a lion. He has the character of Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece and Rome. And the dragon gave him his power, his throne and great authority. Listen, my friend, we studied this last week. In Revelation chapter 12, the dragon stands before the woman that's about to bring Jesus into the world. And the power that tried to kill Jesus as a baby, the great red dragon, was pagan Rome. Now the Bible says that the beast or the Antichrist gets his seat, his authority, his capital, his power from pagan Rome. And history tells us very, very plainly that after the death of the apostles, as the church turned away from God, it assumed the responsibilities of the Caesars. The great title of the Caesars of Rome was Pontifex Maximus, the title of the Caesars of Rome. It is also the title of the leader of that great church. He gets his power from pagan Rome. And point number 10, he receives a deadly wound. Revelation 13 and verse 3. Revelation 13 and verse 3. You can see why the devil doesn't want these things to be preached. I have more opposition from church people over the preaching of these prophecies than I get from the KGB in Russia. In Russia, the KGB says, preach it. It is the truth where we want to hear the truth. But you come back to this country and you come to Australia and you have these anemic church members who say, don't preach these things, they'll make people think unhappy thoughts about us. (laughs) This is true all the time. I have ministers come to me and they say, it's bad public relations for the church. I don't care whether it's bad public relations for the church at all. The church should not be in the business of public relations. The church 
ought to be in the business of preaching the Bible. I say, away with this effeminate, anemic, mamby-pamby religion. Let us preach the Bible. Don't you say that? Yeah. Mm. And you say amen to that, Helen? Amen. Amen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Didn't hear a glory from you there, David. Missed out there a little. Revelation 13, verse 3. I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. Yeah, that happened in 1798. When General Berthier marched down into Rome and took the pontiff prisoner. And people said that church will never rise again. And from those days until now we've had freedom and we've had peace to preach the word. And so the Bible says the Antichrist receives a mortal wound, but like Jesus, he is resurrected. Verse, verse 3 again. Uh, this is point number 11 now. I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. That is happening today. The Bible says that the great system of religious deception that received the deadly wound is going to come back with all the ferocity that it had in the dark ages and it is going to come back into power largely through the influence of other religious people who are traitors to the truth. Traitors to the truth. And I refer to those who know these truths but do not have the courage to preach them. Point number 12. The Antichrist is a great city and a foul woman. Revelation 17 verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication. Remember this. And the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And of course, in Bible prophecy, a woman is the church. A true woman is the true church. We noticed this last week. A prostitute is the, the Antichrist. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. She's into a lot of jewelry, you can see. Having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of a fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and the abominations of the earth. And I saw the church drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. No wonder. Here is a church that professes to follow Jesus. And what does that church do? That church stifles the preaching of the Word of God and that church persecutes the true church. And so it's an amazing thing. The most dangerous people in the world are religious people who do not understand the gospel. And this church has got many wonderful truths, many wonderful doctrines like the Trinity. This church has many wonderful truths, but doesn't understand the truth of the gospel. Beware of the religious person who is full of religion, but isn't full of Christ. This church is full of religion. Verse 18, 
And the woman whom you saw is that great city that reigns over the kings of the earth. And the great city in the days of the apostles, and I say this without fear of contradiction, it's an historical fact. People say, we don't like your conclusions. I may not like them either, but I never wrote the Bible. The Bible says the woman, the church, is the great city that reigns over the kings of the earth, and the great city that reigned over the kings of the earth in the days of Jesus and the apostles was the city of R-O-M-E. It is the city of Rome, and that is where that church is seated. So the Bible says that this church is seated in a great city. That's point 12. And the Bible says, point number 13, she is a coalition of church and state. We just read there of the woman seat, seated upon the beast. The woman is the church and the beast is the state. That church does not understand the doctrine of the separation of church and state. She believes that the state and the church ought to be joined together. And the Bible says that the kings of the earth have committed fornication with this church. Let me say this to you. In this great land of America today, there is a great movement for the church to be joined again to the state. You read about it on television. You read it in Time magazine, where churches are fighting to get the power of the state. When the churches get the power of the state, they join forces, not with Christ, but with Antichrist. Because truth does not need the state to defend it. Only error needs the state to help it to survive. We do not need the state. Thank you very much. But the Bible says here the woman is joined to the state. She is a coalition of church and state, and during the dark ages for more than a thousand years of Europe, in Europe, the great church that came out of the city of Rome and that changed the commandments of God and that persecuted the people of God was joined to the state, and during those dark days, the dark ages, she put to death a hundred million Protestants and Catholics. Did you know that the greatest reformers that came out of that church were Roman Catholic priests? Martin Luther, Huss, and Jerome, Roman Catholic priests who stood for the truth of God. Point number 14, she is a falling away from the truth. She is an apostasy. 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 3 and 4. Good churches can go bad. Did you know that? Good churches can go bad. And she is a good church that has gone bad. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, point number 14, that identifies the Antichrist. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless, what happens? The falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. The Bible says the church would fall away from the truth. 
The Bible does not teach the doctrine once saved, always saved, with individuals or churches. Don't forget it. The Bible does not teach the doctrine of once saved, always saved, with individuals or churches. The Bible says that God raised up this church. But this church that is mentioned here in the Bible fell away. After the apostles, man-made teachings and traditions came into the church, I will name but a few. Purgatory, confession to an earthly priest, the immortality of the soul, prayers for the dead, and praying to the saints. You can't pray to the saints, my friend, because the Bible teaches that the saints are sleeping in the grave unconscious. You say, but this is something I've never heard before. It is because your church has been keeping you in darkness. The immortality of the soul, prayers for the dead, prayers to the saints, relics, indulgences, penance, and righteousness by works. What is righteousness by works? Well, that's something you don't need to go to the seminary to learn. It comes naturally. Every person is born a legalist and a Pharisee. We're all born believing that we can be saved by our own goodness and by the theology of do, 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 cock-a-doodle-doo. That's the theology that the, that the bird sings in many churches. That we are saved by what we do. We are saved by our works. We are saved by works, but not by our own, by Christ's works. We are saved by the precious blood of Jesus. We are saved by the grace of God. We are saved by His justifying blood. I want to tell you, you can be a part of the Antichrist and be in this church if you don't understand the gospel. You want to un understand why people, even in this church, persecute other people and try to dominate and dictate and lord it over everybody? It is because they don't understand the gospel. Martin Luther said, the Pope that I fear most of all is Pope Self. And he's here today in every one of us. He is the man who puts himself in the place of God. And he is the man of carnal pride. What happened to the church? Oh, don't be too hard on those people. Sometimes we're very hard on people. We say self-righteously, well, we're just the remnant church and they're the Antichrist. Don't fool yourself. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. Instead of trusting in the Bible, those people back there started to trust in church traditions and policies and the rules of committees. And then they got the power of the state and they persecuted and they changed the law of God. Not only did they change the Sabbath, but they changed the truth about baptism. That's why they sprinkle babies today. You won't find that anywhere in the Bible, my friend. Nowhere is it taught in the Bible. And so these people were good people, good in the very worst sense of the term. Somebody said he was a good man in the very worst sense of the term, good. 
They were good people, they were earnest people, they were devout people, they were sincere people, and they wanted to please God, and as they put people on the, on the rack, and as they pulled women apart, limb by limb, they prayed for their souls. So we're doing this because we love you, brother. Turn on the thumbscrew. We're doing this because we are the true church. We are doing this because we are the only ones who are saved. Self-righteousness. And so the very best people started out doing the very best things and became the enemy of God. And that is the Antichrist. Not only is it a system, not only is it an organization, not only is it a counterfeit church, it is found wherever those principles are followed instead of the principles of God. He can live in your heart and mine. We need to look. What shall we do? Come now to Revelation 13. Now some folks came to me and they said, you know, don't preach that this week. Why? Tell me why. They, some came and said to me, this is true, don't preach that this week. Just tell us quietly. Take us behind the door. Whisper it to us. I can't stand hypocrisy and I can't stand cowardice. I believe we ought to preach the Bible. Who am I to say that this word is not to be preached? When I was in Australia and I was running great series of meetings, I had a whole delegation come to me and say, Pastor Carter, please don't preach these things. People may get mad with us. I said, the sooner they get mad with you, the better, because I'm getting mad right now. <laughs> we are called, my friend, to preach the word of God. Mm? Maybe it's just because I got a bit more adrenaline, I don't know. But I believe in fidelity. Then I stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns. On his horns ten crowns, on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, great authority, he gets it from pagan Rome. I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. Let me say these things have been fulfilled, but the great crisis is still to come. His deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Who can preach against him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue to 42 months. And then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. And it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Truth is not necessarily reflected by the statistics. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. What should we do? We should turn our backs on false religious systems. The Bible says very plainly, come out of her, my people. That's what the Bible says. If you're in that system that is based its theology and its practices on tradition. God says, now that you know the truth, 
come out of her, my people. You can no longer continue to support that system and be saved. Come out of her, my people. Number two, what we need to do is to make a decision to follow Jesus and his word and have our names written in the book of life because the only people who escape the worship of that system are those whose names are written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world.